This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Hi, welcome to the Reading Teacher's Lounge. You're listening to episode nine from season two. We're talking today in our Balanced Literacy series about independent reading. Um, I'm Mary Sagafi. And And I'm Shannon Betts, and we're both happy to be with you today. Yeah, we can't wait to talk about independent reading. Go ahead, Shannon. Okay, well, I wanted to start with a quote that is by Catherine Patterson, who was the author of Bridge to Terabithia. Also um, a dyslexic herself. I love her. Fantastic. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Yep. So um, this is a quote that I discovered, and I actually used to have it hanging over my desk at my old school, um, because it really resonated with me and my philosophy about teaching literacy. So I'm going to start. Catherine Patterson said, teaching children to read and providing them with something worthwhile to read is not a job for the faint of heart in this world, but I'll keep at it. And I know we won't be alone. You'll come too. We're fortunate, you know. Too many people in this world spend their lives doing work that doesn't matter in the great scheme of things, but bringing children and books together does matter, and we get to do it. How proud do you feel to be a teacher or a parent right now? <laughs> yes. I love it. She hits on so much with that quote because she said that what this the work isn't for the faint of heart, which we right. know that, and she said that this work matters and that we get to match children with books. And that we're so fortunate to be able to do that. Yeah. And, you know, making that connection with books and seeing children really embrace it for their own and, and like, create their own identity as readers, that's a special task that teachers get to share with them. And I think that that's a lot of the reason that um, I became a teacher. I loved that, that piece. It was so exciting. And it's one of the really great blessings I think I get to share with my students when they really get enthusiastic about a book that they're reading and they start to tell me about it and we you know we we get invested in the characters together right we get to watch them and help them transform and into reading individuals yes and and form their own reading lives yes and then it's less about teaching and the standards and of course testing and everything and just about um the connections that we have as people with books Well, and even as an adult, you know, you have to kind of keep that spark alive, too. We often have conversations about what books we're reading professionally or otherwise, and I often recommend books to other people, whether it's professional or otherwise, or a great podcast that I listen to or something. It's really important and wonderful to be able to share information that you're learning and you're passionate about with other people. I love that you're talking about sharing um, and that... Um, conversation piece because I think that's what makes independent reading become part of the balanced literacy program instead of just a dear activity that you do in the classroom drop everything and read every a lot of people have heard that in some classrooms or in some schools that's where independent reading begins and ends Correct. Sometimes, um, even as a classroom teacher you feel like if you give students time to just read that you're not, you know, You're using not. your full teaching time. They're not using their full learning time with they're in school. But um, I found that independent reading becomes a really valuable part of my reading program when I 
give the students time to do very purposeful practice at their developmental level. Correct. Form a love of reading. And I do a lot of goal setting with the students and conversations um, before, during, and after their reading to really help them um, use the strategies that I talk about in other times in the reading. I wonder if you all are nodding along just the way that I am, because I feel so passionately about this. And I think, um, you know, if I'm being honest with the listeners, I never felt that independent reading time was a strength of mine as a teacher. Um, and I felt like I really needed to utilize as much classroom um, remediation time as possible. And all of those minutes really, really count. And so um, I, I rarely recall independent reading time for my students. It was mostly guided shared reading time um, that I was doing and working with them. I think that uh, the classroom that I taught in, which was a small um, a small group setting in a special education classroom in a resource room, um, is maybe a different scenario. But as a um, a homeroom teacher or as a teacher who is a general ed teacher, um, you know I think that that independent reading time is critical because it allows them it allows students to get to their own independent reading level and actually take on the information themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm going to compare it to sports analogies, you know, but I mean, if the coach is just having students dribble all the time and just, you know, talking about basketball, but never actually giving them time to play a game, they don't become better basketball players. And so to me, the independent reading is the students actually putting all the pieces together and there's just, it's really organic how students um, take on vocabulary development, especially when mm. they read. Yeah. Um, and we can put up, I mean, I always see memes and quotes, you know, of just students, if they read five minutes a day, you're only exposed to, you know, a couple thousand words. But if they read 30 minutes a day, I don't know, by a year, they have like a million words or something. It's some right. ridiculous, right. huge number like that. Um, yes, I'm but, not certain what those numbers or details are either, but I recall reading things like that. It's yeah. exponentially more. And mm-hmm. um, I've noticed even in my son that's in fourth grade, he's teacher has finally gotten him into some longer chapter books this Mm -hmm. year and his vocabulary I've noticed a difference in it because he's spending time reading he's finally wanting to finish his assignments so that he can you know read um Mm. you know before they have to move on to the next subject or whatever and get a few extra pages in you know at the end of his math period or whatever and so um I think we need to give students that independent reading time in the classroom and not feel like, oh gosh, is someone going to come in and worry about this because there is research to back it up. But then also, um, I was always, people could usually guess where, who my students were in the hallway because they always were either clutching a book under their, um, arm as they were going through the cafeteria line, or I taught the students to read, uh, while we were waiting for the whole class bathroom break, either before or after their turn. Cause if you add up little bits of time like that throughout the day or always we read um, in morning work and at dismissal time, all of those minutes do add up to where you can, I would try to get the students to read about 30 minutes a day and then I would in the classroom and then I would encourage them to read about 30 minutes at home. Like if I said, Oh, if you have time to watch, you watch two SpongeBob episodes a day. Okay. Then why don't you just watch one of them and then read while the other one's on, or maybe even read during the commercials or something, just to get a few extra pages in. Yeah, I love that. I think sometimes um, 
you know, you've got those kids that are like overly ambitious and then they're evading the math lesson and you see them slumped down and they're just reading their books. So I love that you have taught them like explicitly when the appropriate times are to read um, because that's kind of the worst when you have to take the book away because it becomes such a distraction. Um, you know, you want to encourage that, but at the same time you need to you need to teach what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. So Well, and that. whenever I would catch students like that, I would say, me too. That was me all of my elementary school career. But I did finish my assignments first. Right. Not rushing through them and making careless yes. mistakes. Aww. So um, we'd love to hear from you guys about how you've found time to build yeah. time for independent reading. Um, the times when I've done the most independent reading in my classroom has actually been when we've had a weaker basal curriculum. Yeah. And so we had to rely more on um, guided reading and independent reading for the students to have a, a lot of, um, I mean, that was what drove our reading instruction, you know? Sure. And so it was the gradual release of responsibility model put into practice where I would teach strategies in the whole group mini lesson. Yep. And then we would practice them in guided practice and guided reading. But then also the students would have time during the reader's workshop to independently read and put those strategies in place, whether they were decoding strategies or whether they were comprehension strategies or even reading and then doing some written responses about those. Good. And they would do that during independent reading or partner reading. I love, I really like that. Um, I think the other part that I have to throw in as like, the dyslexia voice here is that independent reading for kids with dyslexia can also include audiobooks. And so ensure that in your classroom you give an option to students. And that could just be, you know, using their Chromebook or whatever source they have. Um, it could be, you know, sitting in front of the computer and, and listening and watching the text or keeping the book next to them. I think utilizing the text and listening at the same time is often really, really um, important for kids to have the simultaneous. I love piece. that. And that is still independent reading. Time. It is. Mm -hmm. Yep, definitely. And I think I've mentioned this on a previous episode before too, but um, when I was co-teaching in a class, when we were doing... Um, we did the mixed up files of Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler and yes. um, love that book. Uh, and we used YouTube links um, and the YouTube links had closed captioning. But when the students were assigned the assignment um, on the computer, the link was also provided. So when they were doing their homework assignments to read, they could also listen at the same time. And then simultaneously in the classroom, too, they were also able to listen um, to when we had independent reading time, it would just be playing um, in the classroom. So that was another way to make it kind of a seamless um, thing. I, I do think that the technology piece often gets in the way of the efficiency that a teacher is moving forward in their reading programming. You have to just be really cognizant of these elements, but these elements can make such a big difference for kids who are struggling to decode that text. So it doesn't mean that they can't comprehend that text. It means that they can't decode the text. That's what I'm specifically talking about right now. Okay. I like that too, even for struggling readers too, if maybe they, some students, um, like let's say they're in a fourth or fifth grade classroom, because mm -hmm. that's a lot of the students that I worked with in the past as an intervention teacher, and they saw their friends reading those yes. chapter books or Harry Potter, and they wanted to do it too. But they were really on a pre-primer, primer level and had to read kind of babyish books. Right. I'm saying it in quotation marks. So maybe they could um, follow along 
with the bigger book that they wanted to read, Absolutely. but then also have independent reading that's their own. Uh, well, and level. I think that is an important piece to to encourage students who may have, um, you know, the lower scores but have strong comprehension, um, is to still have their friends and peers recommend books to them. Yes. But then still be able to utilize those texts, um, you know, and access them at a more appropriate um, way. So. Yes. So I want to talk um, about conferences because mm -hmm. that was really what drove my reading instruction um, with independent reading. And so um, it always started at the beginning of the year with me being very honest with the students and having sort of come to Jesus conferences about what their reading levels were at the beginning of the year once we got the beginning of the year data and then where the students wanted to go by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do that to shame the students. And um, I just wanted them to be engaged in their own learning because a lot of times I was working with upper grade students who had just sort of passed by some other grades and just sort of let school happen to them yeah. very passively. And that's how they got to the fourth or fifth grade, not knowing how to read. Yeah. And so I needed to wake them up. And so I would have a conference like that sometimes to kind of shake them up a little bit. Okay, let's wake up. Let's own this level. Right. You're in the fourth grade, but you're at first grade level. Okay, let's try to get you maybe to a third grade level by the end of the year. If you want to do that, I can help you do that, but it's going to involve a lot of work on both of our parts. Are you with me? You know? Right. And, and I think what you also described, not only are you a goal or goal-oriented teacher with your students, but you also are able to like break down step by step, how are we going to get there? And you use data to show them how they can track it. And I think that's really powerful when the kids are able to see the progress that they're making, or there's that sense of competition, um, you know, either with themselves or with a peer who's at a similar pace. I think that that's really powerful. Yes. And um, I actually did show them because I made this little staircase. I really like reading levels that have the grade equivalent because that just makes a lot of sense to me and I can bring it down for the students. Yeah. I know they want us to talk a lot about Lexile now, but I don't understand Lexile enough to really talk about it with the Lexile students. Lexile is complicated. I think we do need to review this in a few We're going to do another episode about Lexile, so we're just going to table Lexile for now. Yeah. But I made this little grade equivalent reading level staircase and um, I would show the students like with a little Lego man. Okay, like... Each one of these steps is a tenth of a point, which is one month of the school year. Right. So if you're going to go up a whole level, that's like a whole entire school year. That's 10 months of work. Well, if you want to go up two levels in a year, then you're going to have to do at, that's 20 steps and we would count with the, yeah. you know, the Lego man, like how many steps that would look like so that the students would start to see and, um, commit to like I said that half an hour to an hour of practice each day that it would take to get them to that level great yeah and so I um also used um accelerated reader which is kind of controversial and I'll go over that in a second of why it's controversial but I'll, I want to talk first about the positives of accelerated reader and um we had all of our books in our media center mostly yeah. leveled according to accelerated reader and I did let them pick some books that they you know really had high interest in if they really wanted to try it but I said you know we're not going to go up that reading level staircase if you don't practice at your level I'm right like you if I need you and I can get you further but you've got to practice at your level or otherwise it's going to be too hard and I tried in a kid-friendly way to explain ZPD 
book, yeah. which is on approximate development, which we'd love for you to go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, so that episode is episode 15 from season one. And also it ties into another episode that we had in season one, which is called The Big Secret. That's episode 13. And that's kids who really hide and feel shamed about their inability to read and what those behaviors kind of look like and how you can identify your struggling readers in the classroom probably by their negative behavior. Mm-hmm. And all these strategies I'm talking about, I did with um, my struggling readers as an intervention teacher, but I also um, utilized them the last few years as a second grade regular homeroom teacher mm-hmm. uh, because I wanted every student, whether they were on level below or above, to grow in their reading while they're in my room. And so I start the year with those conversations of this right. is where you are. Where do we want to go? Okay, what are we going to do to get you there? Which and, uh, also is teaching the mindfulness yes, and the and metacognition. metacognition. Yes. So another blast to our, another episode is episode 18, Mindfulness About Learning. And I think that's what we're going to kind of tackle right now as we talk about AR. Because I think one of the benefits of the Accelerated Reader Program is really that it it elicits competition between um, students and themselves. They want to be able to earn points mm-hmm. and um, they want to be able to move up the levels. And I think that Accelerated Reader has the positives and that kids get really enthusiastic about it and they're very aware of. Well, they're the engaged with their reading because they're not going to get the points from the book if they just skim the book and don't True. actually read it or they just watch the movie. Right. I've had that happen. And mm-hmm. then, but I didn't, I failed the test. Well, because the book is not the same as the movie. Um, and so they, they learn pretty quickly that maybe they spent a really long time reading a book, but then they skipped like maybe the last five chapters, but then they failed the AR test and yeah. they don't get any points credit for that test. They learn to um, really pay attention to their reading. And so I like that accountability piece. Right. And, but um, AR can be controversial too. Well, it so. can because sometimes it then becomes so transactional, and yeah. sometimes the students, you know, if it's a culture in the class or the school where other people are shamed because they don't have as many error points or if they don't have as many um, high level and things like that. And I've or, heard that, or like a teacher will say, "Oh, you can go to the library and you're on level 3.2, and you, you can only get, get 3.4 or 3.2. One. Right, and a- AR actually wouldn't want that to happen because they believe in CPD. They have it where if a student's at an independent reading level of a 3.2, mm-hmm. then they should read about a 3.0, go down a little bit, to a 4.0 to really give them a little bit of easier practice for fluency, but then also stretch them somewhat through their instructional level, but not to a point of frustration. Right. And then... Um, we, I would set goals with the students for every nine weeks with AR. Mm-hmm. And so we would be able to check in with each other twice before Christmas and yeah. when we would have the winter testing. And then we would hopefully see their reading level go up as their AR went up. Right. And that was really motivating for the students. And so I, I think it's all about how the teacher uses it. Right. Um, but I, it was a really valuable tool for me because it, it helped the students. Like I had little tracking pages where the students would color. They would have their goal marked, you know, okay, I want to get 12 points, yep. you know, um, by the end of the nine weeks. And so I had 120 boxes cause it would be 10 across. And so those were the, for the 10th of 
for the, you know, the little um, decimal points of the mm-hmm. points. And so they would see that um, we would check in, okay, how far away are you from those 12 points? And then, oh, the picture books only get you 0.5. Right. If you get 100, but then if you get an 80, you only get 0.4. And so that would motivate them to try to get the 100. And they would color in as they went through. And then they loved exceeding their goals, too. It would feel so good when they could beat their goals. And uh, that that kind of engagement would transfer, I would see it transfer to other subjects. Where as soon as they could accomplish something in AR, they could accomplish it in other subjects too. I often hear from teachers, especially teachers who have utilized AR for, you know, at least five plus years, then they are really passionate about it because they've seen what it can do in the classroom. But as the listeners can hear, there's lots of minute details that kind of go along with AR. Mm -hmm. And if you utilize them well in your classroom and you are very aware of it, you can't just, it's not a program you can just kind of gloss over and say, oh yeah, go ahead and take that test. Like you as a teacher also have to be very aware and invested um, in like the whole school culture of utilizing AR. Yeah. And I was in the back end system for the teachers for a lot, for all the reporting, you Uh know, I would print reports each week to check in about the students. I would look and see what the students' percentages were if they weren't passing their test and kind of troubleshoot why that was happening. You can go in and set um, book level goals, comprehension goals, point goals. I would do all that stuff. And then there's actually a piece of it that not every teacher is aware of, but there were certification levels. And that was for students to encourage them to get into longer books. And so um, I can't remember all the names of them, but like it was like ready reader, super reader, you know, they were all something kind of reader. And um, at first certificate, you would. And at first, Mm -hmm. you know, it would just be if you got like 10 points or something. Well, then it would be if you got a certain number of points, but only with books that were worth one point or more. So that meant you, it had to be shorter chapter books. You, none of the picture books would count oh, towards see. that certification level. And then the next certification level would ask for like books that had a two point value. So those are longer chapter books. Oh, and see. so it gradually got students to advance and I mean, I really had to push some of the students because they were so reluctant to try to get those certification levels. But it was another piece I could use to um, push my higher students. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. I um, I love that I I love that there's that way of motivating kids. I am often on the opposite end where it seems so far removed. Like the the kids that I typically work with when I first start with them are so you know, a a book is like the least important thing in their world right now because it just makes them feel terrible. Um, But I will tell tell a really kind of like happy story because I was so proud. Um, It was maybe the second summer that I was working with my little guy Rigby and he was in second grade. Yeah, your Rigby story. Uh, And, you know, you guys, he's such a special guy. And he... um, It was the last day of school. Oh, this is what I was going to say, too. You know, getting kids to talk about independent reading and all of these strategies also is really important to talk about at the very end of the school year. And you can get excited, enthusiastic about summer reading and, you know, how to motivate your kids. And so I think that his teacher must have had a really good conversation with him because the the last day of school came and the next day his mom said, well, what do you want to do? 
let's go to the library and go pick out some books. And he picked out three chapter books and his mom took a picture of him just lounging in the backyard on a little lounge chair and he was reading a chapter book and it was an appropriate level and he was enjoying it. And I have, oh, my heart was just like bursting that day. It was, it was so incredible to see him independently reading and loving it and enjoying it and thinking about this summer and this is what he wanted to do with his free time. That's amazing. It's the dream. Because <laughs> I've been a lifelong reader. So that sounds like the perfect day for me as yeah. a kid or even now, but someone who would struggle with reading and yeah. had a diagnosed disability with reading to be able to get to that point oh. and want to do it, even though it was a challenge. I mean, that's, that's my exciting. favorite thing to do in the summer, too. That That's my number one. When I think about my happy place, it's in the warm sun with a good book and nobody bothering me. <laughs> or like if it's raining outside. Um, and you've yeah. got a in blanket a and, a, and a cup, cup of tea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I also like that AR can be a virtual reading log. Oh, yeah, that's true. And so, but I also had the students keep a paper one as well, mm -hmm. um, just to keep track of the authors they were reading and so that they could, you know, look back and see what they had done um, and also keep track of the genres. And I would use that as a tool in my reading conferences as well to make sure that students we're reading a variety of authors. Sometimes they can get in a rut, you know, yes. and they, they, they try Junie B. Jones and then they want to read all the Junie B. Jones and don't want to read anything else. And oh, yes. I would, sometimes I would have to push students. Um, Even why don't me you try myself, this? I get in reading ruts yes. too. Why don't you try this book or this book? or um, And I think book talks help with that too. To, yeah. We grew up with reading Rainbow and kind of watching those clips. But you can do those in the classroom where the students um, share, you know, new books, especially if you see someone take a, maybe you suggest to one student, why don't you just try this book? And then they end up liking it. Well, then I would have them share with the rest of the class, you know, wow. this book's awesome. I always like Magic Treehouse and this is just like that, but better, you know, and I would yeah. kind of have a guinea pig. like. Oh, I love that. I was just noticing, uh, this is off the top of my head. Um, so maybe there's some, you know, adventurous teachers out there, but um, there's a teacher that I know of at the skink school here in Atlanta, and she is teaching her kids how to create podcasts in her third grade class, which I just think is so cool. Wow. And I noticed it because it was on Instagram. Um, but how cool would it be to have your kids like write a little blurb like that and do a podcast? And you could, you know, share it with the class about the best reads. Or... So cool, because then they don't even realize that they're doing thinking skills, because they're going to have to summarize. They're going to have to determine what's important or make yeah. a judgment about a book and or write an opinion or something. But they're doing all of this work oh, that doesn't that feel like work to them. That is cool. Sounds like a project I would love to do. <laughs> so sometimes I would also do like... um like a genre bingo or something oh, just yeah. to kind of get the students to try other things. And, um, I always love, um, the, you know, bi-weekly visits to the media center where you can kind of walk around with the students and oh, well, check out this section or, Oh, what about this? Or what about this? And walking around with the students and helping them choose just right books that are also interesting and fun. We were going to cut this part, but I think we really need to share, um, Shannon's one of Shannon's best lessons is, um, one that was observed, which I think is really cool. You just, I need you to tell the story, please. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so 
some of my best lessons come when I'm not prepared. So if my former principal's listening to this episode, <laughs> she can now learn that uh, this was an on-the-fly <laughs> lesson that occurred when she happened to observe me that day. I had another lesson plan planned, but the night before I had um, watched a show about being in a fashion rut and are you wearing the same outfit over and over and um, I always have a lot of teaching thoughts either in the shower or on the drive to work and so on the drive to work the next day I realized that a lot of my students were in reading ruts and that they had been reading just the same books over and over so I called them to the carpet that day because um, I had planned that this was going to be the lesson I was going to do I love that. even though it wasn't on my lesson plans and my boss walked in and I'm like oh <laughs> I'm going th I'm going with it. Um, and so I gathered the carpet and I explained about the fashion show that I watched and what a fat what a rut meant. And um, then I shared reading rut and I was sharing a with them, I even showed up, I think I pulled up my Goodreads account to show them that, look, I just read all the same type of books. They're all like chiclet from Britain, you know, and I need to challenge myself to read something. So I asked them advice about what I should, you know, try. And they were suggesting things like nonfiction or poetry or things like yeah. that. And so then um, I had them try to identify what their reading ruts were and I helped them. Um, if they, you know, I brought up a couple anecdotes from some reading conferences for the students who weren't quite sure about uh, what their rut was. And then they turned to their OPA partner and shared about that. And then I sent some of them to the class library to try to find a new type of book. And then others I sent to the media center to try to find a new type of book. And then we um, did independent reading. And then we, um, and I conferenced with them as they were doing it. And then we came back to the carpet at the end of the lesson and kind of reflected what it felt like to try to read something different. And, Don't um, you wish you were in her <laughs> class that day? Doesn't it sound so fun? Oh. And my principal wrote me a really, really nice email after I that lesson. It. And um, what she was just implying was that it was, it was more about like um, teaching students about life and not just something that was... You know, it is because the, the third grade is, curriculum. Yeah, to make them lifelong learners. And they I love the idea that you also modeled for them what you're reading because I think that having an adult who models lifelong learning is so valuable to children. And if the teacher is doing that, you're also doing your job. And that's very difficult to do with all of the things that are done in the day, but it makes you human to them too. Yes. And that, that became one of those anchor lessons that we talked about the rest of the year. Oh. You know, oh, are you in a rut? Are you in a rut? Why don't you try this? And <laughs> we used it you. to push each other out of our comfort zones. Oh, so good. So, so good. um, Another thing I do in reading conferences is I will help the students um, with chapter books, especially if they're in that, because I taught second, third grade for a long time. And that's when we want the students to transition from picture books to chapter books when they're at that level. That's right. And so um, there's a lot of fear around that for students. And so, cause yeah. that chapter book just seems so long and looming when they're used to the shorter books. Yes. And so I would spend a lot of time in reading conferences, you know, maybe helping the students form a plan like okay this has 10 chapters okay what if you just read one chapter a day and look the chapters are only like 13 pages long you know you could and then you would be done a I week and it. a half from now you know and we would even write it down on a little sheet of scratch paper monday read chapter one tuesday read chapter two wednesday read chapter three yep. and they would come back like five days later and they would have read it Right. You know, it's like once they get started, they want to keep going, especially because chapter books usually are so well written that you want to find out you know, how the true. plot ends. Um, but sometimes students just need a little bit of support with that. I think that that is so key. I think that a lot of students, especially those who struggle with 
um, executive functioning, which is such a buzzword right now, but it's teaching those skills is actually teaching them back planning and how you take things bit by bit and you can swallow the whole elephant, you know, yes, <laughs> like, yes. how do you, how do you eat an elephant bit by bit, but you do need to spell it out. And I think some kids do require actually seeing what they need to do every day, just bit by bit and actually writing it down or, um, you know, breaking it down, even just with a visual for them, how many days will it take you? What does that seem good to you? And letting them find that judgment about time. And yes. Planning. Do you want to finish this in a month? Do you want to finish it in a week, two weeks? And then sometimes we would even, um, we would fold that little piece of paper and it become like the bookmark in the book to kind of keep track Perfect. and then they could check it off or things like that. Yep. And um, I would check in with them, you know, after a few days and we'd, oh, are you to the goal of where you wanted to be by this day or do we need to adjust and things like that. I love it. And I always would um, take notes for myself about what um, we talked about, but then also in the folder with their reading logs, I would have little space for the students to write some small goals, like try more nonfiction, or by Friday, try to read four chapters of this book, or try to take three R tests, or whatever it was that they were wanting to accomplish. Um, great. So the last thing I wanted to mention about um, independent reading time and making it a really valuable piece of the balanced literacy program is to weave a lot of the comprehension strategies into the goals with the students and into those reading conferences. And so that's the part that I love that you, I'm so glad that you mentioned because this is where the kids who are dribbling and just doing the skills are actually playing the basketball game. Exactly. And so um, in a previous episode, I've talked about Strategies That Work, which is a really amazing book um, about comprehension. And also, I really love the Jennifer Saravallo, um, I'm sorry for butchering your last name, uh, the Reading Strategies books. They have the Strategies books. There's a reading and writing one, and they have like a target on the cover. Um, and I'll teach those in my whole group mini lesson. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do some shared reading with it or some close reading with it. And then we'll do some guided reading with it. And then I'll ask the students to start using in their independent reading. And I'll converse them about with them about that and say, okay, show me a part in the book that you visualized. Show me a part in the book that you made an inference about. Yeah. Sometimes the students would keep sticky notes or other little graphic organizers. Or sometimes the students would do... Um, Reader's response journals, mm -hmm. the most valuable ones when I've had the time have been dialogue journals where the students would write me a note oh, each I week about what they read. That. And then I would write them back on the weekend about what they read. And we really formed close relationships. And I really was, it, this was pre-children. I was going to say, <laughs> it's a time-consuming task, but it is really special Yes, to be able to share that with the kids. And I would have the students try to explain metacognition in their responses. Okay. How did, what did you visualize? Okay, you visualized the character being mad at that point. Okay, how did that visualizing help you understand the story better? Awesome. And really try to articulate that. And, of course, I would be modeling that first. Um, mm -hmm. But that is the gradual release responsibility in practice where I'm starting to try to see, are the students taking on these strategies themselves and yeah. using them if they get stuck on a point that they don't understand? 
Or, and also like helping them to articulate it yes. as well, because I think that they do use it, but I think that it's a it's a different level of cognition when they're able to then articulate how they're using it and why they're using it. Yes, and I mean, and if they get really good at it, sometimes they'll start coming to me and saying you know what? Oh, I just made an inference here. The author gave me clues, but they didn't really say it. Yeah. And then I was able to figure it out. And I would even try to weave that into writing. Once they got really good at the comprehension strategies and reading, I would say, okay, well, as writers, can we try to do some of the things these authors do, you know, and leave clues for our readers to figure out? And so that is another part of balanced literacy that we'll talk about later. Well, that's what I was just going to say. This is the beauty of balanced literacy. It is supposed to all weave together. And you are supposed to be able to utilize these strategies, which is sort of why we're talking about this today, is that we really want to make sure that um, we can articulate a good picture of what a really good balanced literacy classroom looks like with a little structure. We use structured um, literacy weaved into it because that's what I bring. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But so, um, yeah, because guided reading independent reading, read aloud, all of those are just vehicles of the thinking that I'm trying to get the students to do. Yeah, perfect. And so I would, you know, model those things for the students and they would practice them in different environments until they eventually they could do them on their own. Love it. So work on goal setting with your students for independent reading. Mm-hmm. Um, help the students get just right books that they end up loving. Yes. They develop a reading life with books that are on their level and not just wasting a ton of time on books that are too hard for them or too easy for them. And really um, find some time to do some rich reading conferences because it helps connect with the students and helps them build a reading life for their for themselves. And um, I think it builds the relationship with students, which helps with classroom management and everything, too. I, I couldn't agree more. Ooh, this was a good episode, Shannon. Good for you. Thank you guys. I'm giving you all the credit because (laughs) I was a little quiet on this end. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Jordan and Um, Allie. Yeah, and to Allie for providing our graphics, Jordan for the music. Until next time. Okay.